Boom Mike Productions is in partnership with RPS to present the work of Jack Latham and his Sugar Paper Theories project. This podcast presents the testimonies of Gisley Gudjonsson, Erla Badottier, Dylan Howitt, as well as the curator Mark Rawlings and Jack Latham himself, as they recall the events of the infamous Goodmunder case. The Goodmunder case, also known as the Reykjavik Confessions, is a case concerning the disappearances of Goodmunder and Gefinur Ernesson in 1974 in Iceland. Six people were convicted of their alleged murders on the basis of confessions acquired by false memories. In later years, most Icelanders believe the six were wrongfully convicted. Jack Latham's Sugar Paper Theories project attempts to document and offer different perspectives on chilling events of the Goodmunder case. Throughout the book, you will find detailed photographs and newspaper articles that will leave you with a different insight and understanding into what really happened. My name is Archie Heath, and I'm here with... Lucy Wallace. And um, our guest today is Dylan Howitt, and we'll just be talking about his documentary, uh, Out of Thin Air. Uh, yeah, so let's just dive straight into it. Uh, do you want to go with the first question? So how did you get into directing? What was your education, maybe work experiences? Sure. Um, yeah, so, um, well, I went to art school, so um, as was really into photography and really into painting, drawing, stuff like that, and animation. Um, but then when I was there, I was already getting into making films as well. Um, and where I went, which is Sheffield, um, there was actually a 16 millimeter processor. So I was actually getting to shoot stuff on film, on cine film, which is amazing. Um, and also making like videos and stuff like that. And then um, when I left, um, I kind of, there was like a twin track kind of thing that happened. Um, so I, I got into doing videos, I was quite into sort of activism basically, environmental activism, which I'm really happy to say, see in sort of returning at the moment with Extinction Rebellion and stuff like that. But at the time it was roads protests. And um, I, I, I found that the best way I could contribute to that was making films about the, the protests. So I was doing like activist filmmaking. At the, and at that time, like um, the films were actually distributed on VHS. So it was like videotape. So we'd make these video magazines and distribute them. And, and we had this, I had a, like a collect video collective called Conscious Cinema, where you'd go around and show films um, in different places around the country. Um, so I was doing that, um, but it wasn't really making a living doing that. But I was also working, trying to sort of build up a career. So I did the classic thing, working as a runner and making tea and that kind of thing and dramas um, mostly. And then my first sort of proper job was working as an editor. So I worked as an editor uh, at LWT in London for a couple of years, just cutting documentaries. And that's, I think editing is a brilliant way to get into just filmmaking in general. Um, And sort of was able to sort of jump from that into directing. And then so since then, that's like almost 20 years ago now, which is crazy to think. I've done just just a range of TV, lots of different stuff, like whether it's um, children's TV, um, lots of singles, formatted shows, like things like um, the world's scariest animal attacks and things like that, (laughs) Discovery, or um, just singles about, single documentaries about a whole range of different subjects. And then I've also um, sort of done lots of work for charities and NGOs. I've done lots of sort of traveling with, um, you know whether it's to develop the developing world stuff like that, um, and and then my own independent films as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and out yeah. of thin as my first feature film. Oh wow! So yeah. this documentary always kind of been your interest then. Yeah, I mean I, I've done like bits of like um, 
sort of drama and stuff like that. But yeah, definitely documentary. I think yeah. um, I th somehow I, some I got this idea really early on that you know it'd be an amazing, it'd be amazing life basically. Yeah. It'd be an amazing way to go and just talk to people about their stories and just travel and mm. and just I'm just curious person or nosy, yeah, yeah. nosy yeah. person <laughs> I might say, but I just want to sort of find stories and talk to people and yeah. a documentary just seemed like a good way to do that and share it yeah that's yeah. so interesting wow yeah 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 um so like because you were saying like you've worked on lots of tv shows and stuff mm. did that influence uh do you think you've got a lot of influence from that into your kind of work today and possibly maybe that directed you more to documentary rather than other maybe like you said maybe just uh, heading straight into a career with tv shows like um, well, and stuff. well yeah i mean the the tv was pretty much all documentary so it was okay and just different styles so yeah, um, yeah. for example i did this series called rooted that was uh it was a children's travel show it did really well got nominated for a bafta and all that but it was basically like uh kids who were born in the in britain but whose parents were from other countries and then oh, wow. we would take them back to where their parents were from um so like for example we had a kid from bristol who went to somalia so we traveled with him um, and sort of saw him meeting his family over there and sort of see what life would be like if he'd lived, if he'd grown up there sort of thing. So there's those kind of um, shows. And then there was more um, shows I worked on that had more kind of archive, um, which Out of Thin Air does use as yeah. well. Um, and then slowly, kind of, I, I'm trying to think if I did anything. I didn't do that much stuff with Reconstruction. With Out of Thin Air, um, I mean, in a way, the big challenge is you know, what do you do when the story has already happened? Most of the story happened already. Yeah. And there isn't really that much archive. I mean, there, there was a couple of newsreels that was done in the time in the 70s of the case. But um, basically, there's there's not much, you know, there's nothing that was shot at the time. And so, like, what do you do? Like, just, just film it cool. yeah. cinematically. Yeah, yeah. What do you do? How do you fill, fill in those spaces? So it's just about... Um, yeah, that, that, that process of, of, of sort of reconstructing, reimagining certain scenes of the story um, but you know and obviously we we had the budget to kind of have um you know actors we cast all the, all sure, the main yeah. players yeah. and the uh, art direction and you yeah, know yeah. all the, the whole shebang really yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know really well, good cinematographer yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and 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 art uh, uh, sound designer and, and uh you know hair and makeup yeah, and yeah, yeah. the rest of it so it's just like sort of applying all the kind of um ideas around uh, sort of fiction cinema, mm. fiction film, yeah. all of those tools were at our disposal sure. in, in, in the in the documentary. Yeah. It's really interesting because like doing that, it really effectively kind of uh, showed off the story. I think like watching it myself, I could I wouldn't have been able to tell that you didn't have like that that you didn't have access to so many recordings. Like you have to you had to make up a lot of it. It's really interesting to hear that because it just seemed like that's like you had a lot. It seemed like from watching it, it's about. So uh, out, I'm trying to remember how long it is now. It's about 85 minutes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and that's like that's a long time to be able to do it without kind of content that was from the time, and you very successfully kind of portrayed that off, I think. Yeah. Because I wouldn't have been been able to tell. Thank that you. you that's to good to hear. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, like especially the way like you created it as well, it was like really easy to like understand, and yeah. obviously you had so little information to yeah. be able to create something that was seemed so in depth. Yeah, it was, that's, that's brilliant. brilliant. Thank you. That's great to hear. Yeah. No, I mean, the, the the challenge was, um, in a way, like that because the the strategy was, in terms of how to tell the story, was yeah. that we wouldn't use narration. I didn't want to use narration or or voiceover, right? Yeah. To tell this, to sort of 
tell tell the, the viewer what's happening. Sure. So in other words, I'd, I'd only tell the story using the interviews okay. um, and that it would be kind of first person. So people who were there, basically. Yeah. But um, and that was the kind of rule I set myself. But I kind of regretted it because it's quite hard. It was <laughs> yeah. really it's, re it's really quite challenging when it's like quite complicated yeah, story yeah, yeah. to sort of tell the audience what they need to know in order to understand and follow the story. Yeah. Just just sure. using the interviews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, but that's that's sort of how how we went about it, mm. basically. So did a, did a lot of that kind of password that you were saying about did that kind of um, influence a lot of the work that you did in you in in the documentary then because you said uh, obviously you did that uh, piece where you had to recover a lot uh, of information reconstruct a lot of it did that kind of influence how you uh went into this documentary yeah i mean i i hadn't done a lot of that kind of storytelling to be honest mm. but i have watched a lot of films and um and there's certain filmmakers i really like um for example i don't know if you know errol morris uh, he's yeah, one, one to check out. Yeah. He's sort of uh, this sort of seminal documentary filmmaker, and he he made this film that I saw when it came out quite a few years ago called The Thin Blue Line, and it was basically about you know the story of this uh, Amer policeman in America who was shot, and it was like this whole controversial case, and he basically reconstructed the murder of this police officer, but he kind of did it in a really beautiful way, like super stylish. And I think he was the first documentary I'd seen which was like for the big screen and he was like you know documentary doesn't have to yeah, be yeah. like TV it could be like cinematic and really big screen beautifully shot mm. and lit and everything and so um, he did that that film which was really influential for everyone but I mean it was I, I found it amazing and so films like that and then there's other ones like um, I, don't, I mean I don't know if you've seen Touching the Void it's about a sort of a mountaineering accident Kevin McDonald but again, it's like, um, it's basically told, it's just three interviews, that's all it is. Um, he's, he's done these interviews about this amazing mountaineering accident, basically, this guy who almost died. Um, but he tells it, it's like moment to moment. So it's like, it's like first person and it's like present tense. So it's like, even though it happened years ago, it feels like you're listening to it in the moment, you know? Yeah. And so he just did these three interviews of this event and then he cut them together uh, and then he re he sort of worked out what what, what he needed to film because it, none of it had been filmed, obviously. Yeah. You know? um, and then he shot this incredibly dramatic documentary, which I think went on to win an Oscar. I might be wrong about that, but he certainly won loads of awards. It's mm. an amazing, amazing film. But it's again, it's that really dramatic, cinematic yeah. uh, storytelling. Yeah. But but it's done, it's told by the people who were there. Yeah. So it's got both. It's got like the power of the documentary, which is real, real yeah. people. Yeah. But then it's got the drama mm. elements as well. Did that kind of like influence how you chose the style of your documentary then? Definitely, like the the way that they both those films were made, like the sort of how they were shot. I really like look, sort of studied them. Um, and there's there's another couple of films. I mean, there's a whole series, this crime series called The Jinx, which on it was on HBO. That again, it took place in the seventies, and it was just beautifully, beautifully yeah. shot. Um, and it, had a, had a really interesting thing with the reconstruction, which because a lot of reconstruction, like crime reconstruction, can be yeah. quite hokey, can be yeah. quite cheesy, you know? Sure, yeah. And just yeah. look wrong. Mm. Um, but with uh, um, The Jinx and with all these other films, uh, what, what one of the things I noticed was that, I mean, what one, it's just the production values are amazing. It just looks beautiful, yeah. it's beautifully yeah. lit, which is we wanted to go for that with this as well. But also um, what I noticed was that you, you never see faces 
So that's a really, really important yeah. thing. Yeah. So you, you never like, you've, even though we cast people who look like the real people, mm. like we didn't want, I, I, like I never wanted you to go to a cut to a drama scene, and then you see the face of the actor and you kind of go, nah, it doesn't quite look like yeah. that. And it just yeah. pushes you out of the story in a way. Mm. So we always try to shoot really shallow depth of field, like shallow focus, um, kind of on their shoulder or just like. Maybe the focus is in the foreground and they're in out focus in the background. Mm. So you can always just be with the interview, inter the person yeah. talking, mm. and then just imagine that that's them. Yeah, and yeah. it yeah. just doesn't take you away. And that's that was the that was the idea of it. And I, was, I definitely kind of got that from watching other films mm. that had done it and sort of like that. That's the way to do yeah. it because it's sort of like, yeah, just that it means you can kind of project the story onto the screen and not kind of like like I say be sort of pushed away from it yeah so. yeah, yeah. yeah it was a very interesting technique because I didn't notice that and I was thinking it's it's very much kind of being there in a the sense and kind of like as if it was your own memory you know somebody's describing it to you, you kind of see the person's back uh, and it's kind of like a distant memory but obviously it's a lot more clearer yeah. and it is really it's really interesting to kind of see that story approach that way because you just felt a lot more involved yeah. and you were kind of really there yeah it's yeah, that's totally yeah, the idea. Yeah, you felt like you were almost like watching it, like mm. yeah, watching yeah, yeah. what was happening. Yeah, yeah. I mean that 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 in my head, what I was what I said to the crew and everything when we were doing it was like, I, I want to be inside Ertler's head. Mm. You're going to yeah. interview her, aren't you? Yeah. This is really cool. She's brilliant. Yeah. But like, um, it's like uh, you know this idea that because it's it's the whole film, it, the whole story is very psychological. It's all yeah. about memory and memory distrust mm. and like, can we trust what what we remember and things like that. So it feels very like internal, very subjective. So it feels like, um, so we, we, what we wanted to evoke was just that feeling of being inside someone's head. Yeah. yeah. You're there, you're, you're them in a way, mm. and sort of watching what they see. Mm. It was very effectively done. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say, I did feel like it was very much yeah. there. <laughs> Thank you. So like, how did you deal with the responsibility and like role of putting out facts? Um, well, I mean, I think firstly, it. it um, by just trying to learn everything I could about the case and just really be trying to become an expert in the case. Yeah. Um, we co-produced this film, so it was a British company, Mosaic Films, but we were also co-producing with an Icelandic com company. So we had like a, a really brilliant Icelandic producer, uh, um, Margaret Jonasdottir, uh, who's, mm -hmm. uh, who's just really excellent. And so sh she was, and sh everyone in Iceland, I should say most people in Iceland know this case yeah. really pretty well. Um, but she was there to, re and she's a historian as well. So she was there to really, really check the. Facts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously, we had a lot of the court documents and the uh, evidence sure. kind of translated. Mm. So, so, and we just spoke to loads of people, you know, whether yeah. it's police or um, kind of experts in the case, and many witnesses as we could. Mm. So, sort of, so that was the first part. Of the first mm. part of answering the <laughs> question is just like learning as much as possible yeah. but then obviously it's like having the facts checked as well yeah. afterwards yeah. you know a lot of research then like Lots the of research. Yeah. yeah but i mean but, but in a way it, you know it's in, in some ways it, uh, uh, um, it was made easier by the fact that you know one of the things that's really striking about this case is that how how little we do know about what happened mm. yeah, yeah um so the police case is really flimsy when you really look into it and and so the question I sort of asked myself when I started, you know, really investigating was like, what do we know to be true? Like, what do we know is true? Yeah. And what do we, it's just like hearsay or like yeah, yeah. sort of dodgy evidence. And there's so few things we know to be true because obviously yeah. the two many disappeared, they disappeared into thin air and they yeah, never, yeah. Well, yeah. their bodies were never found and have never been found. Yeah, yeah. And then certain evidence about 
sort of witnesses of you know people who's who'd seen the first guy who'd seen the second guy a lot of those witnesses sort of fell down or they were just proven to be unreliable so really the whole case was built on confessions Mm. and then as i'm sure you know the confessions were found to be you know sort of given in really really bad circumstances in terms of you know um being held for days and days on end multiple um sort of interrogations Mm. really bad treatment Mm. all of that so um, very badly on the kind of psychological kind yeah. of thinking of it, wasn't it? Exactly. So, so, but, but, you know, in terms of like sort of sticking to the facts, I mean, mm. so once you got kind of start to really dig into the case, you sort of find that there's very few facts. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a strange one, really. Did you ever find it difficult then find kind of believing kind of what was true, what wasn't, maybe what to put in it, what not to put in it? Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. just a really, really hard, that was the debate <laughs> the whole time. Yeah. You know, yeah, you know, yeah. Because, you know, um, yeah, what's real, what isn't real, what's mm. a memory, what's a false memory. Of course. Uh, it, even to this day, I'm not sure what the answer yeah. of that yeah. is. And it's even, that's why, in a way, the case has been so, sort of, it's stayed so long mm. in the kind of imagination of people in Iceland is because it's unsolved and yeah. and there's so many different theories. And it, I think it's, it's <coughs> like in, when there's a mystery like that, people just project, uh, you yeah. know, they'll just project their own idea. And, yeah, and, yeah. and that's what's happened with this, like, you know, mm all the way through whether it's you think they're all guilty or whether you think they're innocent yeah yeah, yeah. no one really knows <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and i think that was kind of like projected through the film as well because like one minute you could be thinking oh maybe they didn't do it but then the next you think that they did and then by the end of the film you're kind of like i don't mm. know what to believe and what not to believe really and mm-hmm. i think that was really well projected through the film that's good i think yeah it's yeah. kind of left it where it is today like yeah you know Really you come out of it like yeah. you don't know yeah. yeah i mean it should be said that um i don't know whether jack mentioned this that uh you know all the murder charges have been thrown out now mm. so that, that um so there was this whole appeal process that was going on that we actually okay. wanted we were hoping to include in the film oh, but yeah. it just happened too late oh, no. but um that the uh you know all the murder charges have been thrown out oh, by wow. the supreme court yeah so we can say for sure that they didn't do it in that yeah, sense yeah, yeah. in a legal yeah. sense they didn't they do didn't. it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um, Ertler's uh, charges are still mm. held. She, she might, you might want to ask her about that. Oh, really? wow. Like she, because she was also she was um, her, she was uh, um, convicted of perjury, so um, and that's that's still held. That that charge is still there. So she's still trying to get that overturned, okay. overturned. Because yeah. I know it ended on them still fight, some uh, still fighting the case. Obviously, like if they actually did it or not. So that's that's nice to hear that they didn't get convicted of it. I guess. Well, they were well, convicted and yeah. they served their time, um, but then they, um, uh, you know, there, there was various appeals which mm. failed. Yeah. Um, but then this most recent appeal um, succeeded. So, Ooh. and that was the one that Gisley, Gisley's testimony was probably the thing that turned it. Yeah. So again, that's something you want to talk to because Gisley's <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. the man basically. Yeah, he's, yeah. He is the expert on <laughs> false confession. Like he's he's quite incredible. Yeah. He's, he's got absolutely incredible amount of knowledge about sort of how people come to confess wrongly in in mm. police custody mm. and not just this case but like loads of cases in the UK as well yeah yeah so mm-hmm. like what was your kind of connection to Jack and maybe the book and the RPS yeah so um it's, it's the, the funniest thing that um so we were making this film and at the same time there was this photographer doing a whole series about it and at the most of the most of the time I was making the film I didn't know that but then at a certain point, I got a, um, I don't know how it happened, but I've, um, I think I 
maybe I got an email from him or maybe I emailed, I can't remember now, but yeah. somehow I found out that there was this guy doing this um, sort of photo photographic series about the case as well. Um, and yeah, we ended up meeting up. And the crazy thing is he actually lives like probably about 20 minutes walk from where I live because <laughs> he lives in Hove and I live yeah. in Brighton. So, um, <coughs> and yeah, we just met for coffee, got along really well he's, um, and had a great chat about the case. And obviously we all know, we know all the same people. Yeah, yeah. Um, he'd he'd actually found out about the case in the same way. Sorry, this one. Start again. <laughs> um, he he'd actually found out about the case in the same way we had, which was a radio documentary on BBC. Um, okay. That was on uh, BBC Crossing Consonants Radio Four, um, and he'd just yeah just gone and done this series. Actually, no, I, I, let me just start again because <laughs> I had heard fun. about I had heard about him because obviously I'd gone to meet Ertler. Yeah. And I'd gone to meet Gisley. And they'd sure. said, oh, there's this other English guy who's yeah, doing yeah. something yeah. about the case. So, yeah, that's how I heard about it. Um, but I'd never met met him until until we sort of connected in, in Brighton. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, uh, ever since then, and we had we even had um, sort of mutual friends. So there's this old friend of mine um, who um, who sadly got killed, actually, in Libya when he was taking pictures. <coughs> he was a photographer called Tim Hetherington. Oh, okay. And... Um, uh, he made this film called Restrepo, which was Oscar-nominated, amazing oh, wow. film uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, made with the Marines in Afghanistan. But uh, Tim knew him as well. And Tim, I think his, I want to say Jack's dad is like Tim's godfather or something like that. But there's, there's yeah, some yeah, connection yeah. anyway. He knew Tim, um, which is really, really funny. Um, mm. But then um, I went to the opening of Sugar Paper Theories at photographer's gallery in london oh, wow, and yeah. it was amazing and yeah, i've obviously yeah, yeah. got a copy yeah <laughs> and it's just brilliant and it's brilliant to see a different take on the case sure a really really sort of interesting artistic creative yeah approach to the yeah. case yeah, yeah. um so yeah i've just loved seeing seeing sort of his work and how he's he's approached it as well mm-hmm. um and yeah he came to the at the opening of the film <laughs> as well so yeah it's, it's sort yeah, of worked yeah. out quite well yeah. like i say we've got a lot of we've because obviously we've met a lot of the same people mm investigating sure, the case yeah, but we yeah. never sort of um in the making of it we never were working together mm. or anything like yeah. that do you think if you had your documentary might have been slightly different in the way no i mean i think like in in some ways i sort of like um i think i did say this to him i slightly sort of envied the fact that he kind of you know he kind of could come to it with a totally artistic approach yeah sure and sort of I, you know we our commission was from bbc storyville and, and so we had to sort of um and I don't regret this, but I, we had to stick to the facts. You know, yeah, like, yeah. there's a sort yeah, of responsibility yeah. to tell the story sure. as a documentary, you know. Mm. Um, but, I, I, you know, I, I do. I was looking at your shoulder. Oh, it'd be nice to do something, <laughs> something totally creative yeah. where yeah, it's just yeah, off yeah. the wall, like totally different way of doing mm. it. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, that's what he did. And that's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. So I, I, yeah. I think it's quite nice as well, because then it's both projects are completely their own independent kind of style of it isn't it yeah definitely rather than seeing if you saw somebody else's work sometimes that can subconsciously influence your own so it's quite interesting to see that completely different yeah you know and see what can be made with the story and hopefully hopefully they sort of complement each yeah, other yeah, yeah definitely course. yeah yeah so what kind of initially attracted you to this story um well and th- th- yeah several things about about the story um I mean, first of all, it has this kind of dark mystery at the heart, yeah. sort of unsolved mystery, which is, you know, sort of always really intriguing and course, interesting. Yeah. Right? Um, and then the next thing was this, the setting, you know, it takes place in Iceland in the 1970s. Yeah. I mean, what's not to love? It's yeah. pretty amazing. The setting, the, the place. Um, I don't know if you've been to Iceland, but it's just 
it's just it's an amazing looking place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, all the sort of uh, above um, north of the wall Game of Thrones stuff was shot there. Oh, yeah. It's that sort of icy yeah. um, black landscape, like black lava mm. landscape. So the sort of setting is sort of otherworldly, which mm. is really amazing in itself. It's so quite cinematic. Yeah, yeah. Um, takes place in the 70s, which I was really interested in the idea of reconstructing and sure, sort of yeah, yeah. having to evoke yeah. a time, yeah, a very yeah, specific yeah. time and place. And what else? Um, yeah, and then the the other thing that really sort of attracted me to the story was this that was the whole idea of memory and false memory. Sure, and yeah, of, yeah. And sort of there's these kind of two questions that in the film, uh, or no, sorry, there's these two questions in the case. Um, one which is like which is what the police were putting forward, which was like, did you witness something so terrible that you've just repressed the memory and you don't yeah, even remember yeah, yeah. what yeah. you saw because it was so like just mm. such a shock to you? Yeah, but. Or is there something even darker, which is that do you remember something like that you actually murdered someone that you didn't yeah, do? Yeah, you yeah. actually have a yeah. visual memory of something you didn't do. Mm-hmm. And that there's kind of like a dark darkness to that because it's mm. like, in a way, we are our memories. You know, yeah, we are, yeah, that's yeah. who we are. And like, so if you can't, if you're starting to doubt who you are, like what you remember, yeah. like, did I kill that yeah, person? Yeah, yeah. Or did I witness yeah, someone addiction. killing? That's really dark. And this, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. it also felt like a brilliant thing to do a film mm. about because it's like, you know, did they, didn't they? Yeah. So constantly play with that. Yeah, Because yeah. so, I guess yeah. you can dive so deep into the way that you can, like, perceive, like, perceive that through your film yeah. as well. Definitely. Like, yeah. you can play the same scene more than once in yeah. different ways. Yeah, yeah. So, for example, there's, um, like, a really important moment in the story is when Ertler, um has this nightmare. She confesses to the, tells the police that she's had this mm. nightmare, right? Yeah. That those people are outside her window whispering. Yeah. And, and the police sort of take that story and they kind of spin it and they keep asking and asking and asking and eventually that becomes the first confession of the whole yeah, thing, yeah. The whole story um so in the film we sort of um show the nightmare the way she tells it the first time mm-hmm. and then we sort of show how it changed yeah and yeah, then how yeah. it shifts and then how the confession sort of came and mm-hmm. eventually she says you know she looked through the door she sees them carrying the body yeah, 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 yeah. but you know that isn't what she originally said yeah, it's just course, how yeah. it kind of changed so and, and likewise, the way that the second guy, Gerfinner, was killed in the dock. You know, he was mm. killed in, you know, over the course of these confessions, yeah. he, ke- he kept getting killed in different ways. Yeah. You know? yeah, so like, one time he was getting, he was kind of like punched, and yeah, another time yeah. like he was hit with a stick. Or something. Yeah, yeah, time then he time was he was like shot, shot, she yeah. shot him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She actually confessed to shooting oh, him yeah, at one yeah, point. Yeah. Another time he was thrown overboard a boat. Mm. You know, there's so many different versions of how this guy was killed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, that's another thing that was mm. really interesting, really cool to like, ha- to, to sort of keep playing it mm. so the audience is just like what which way yeah. which yeah, one yeah. was it which one's true it's weird as well because you must start to, obviously like you said it, uh, if it's kind of running off if you are based off your memories it's kind of debating who you are are you a murderer you're not like yeah. like she said she saw it and then she was like and then she confessed to having the gun as well yeah. so that's quite an interesting way of kind of like really debating of what happened and who you are and kind of the whole situation as a whole yeah I think I mean that's I think um something Gisley talks about is like the first the way that false confession works is the first thing that that um happens is you doubt you start to doubt yourself mm. like so you let's say you're held in in a in a cell for some sort of few hours and then the police just start to just keep putting this idea are you sure you were there are you sure yeah, you sure yeah. that happened you begin to and doubt you start to happened. doubt yeah and then that's how that's the beginning you know like you're not quite sure and then 
mm. even just if they, even if they didn't do it deliberately, but they ask questions in a certain way that might just suggest yeah, yeah, yeah. that like a certain things happened, and then that starts to build in your mind. Mm. And if you're yeah. there long enough, you can actually start to kind of create these memories. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's quite mad, really. In some ways, it kind of pushes further from the truth as well, because if you start to imagine a whole different scenario mm-hmm. rather than what really happened, then yeah, yeah. You know, you've kind of lost that memory of what really happened. Now yeah. you've got this whole new story. Yeah. Was it kind of difficult then to kind of differentiate um, what to add as well with the confessions? Like, because you said that, like you said, there's quite a lot. Was it kind of hard to choose which ones to add in documentary? Maybe which were more of the larger confessions rather than the smaller confession confessions. Yeah, I mean, I think um, you know, I mean, one of the things that I sometimes wonder thinking about the film is like, should I have made it as a single documentary? Like, which is what mm, we always pitched yeah. as a single yeah. theatrical documentary. Sure, because it would have been a perfect like five six parter for, for yeah, Netflix yeah, or something. Yeah. <laughs> like making a murder type thing where you yeah. and it, we could easily have spun it out mm-hmm. and i would have loved to have done an episode just about the confessions sure and you could have had like a whole hour just because mm. they're so detailed like they're almost cinematic in themselves they're like written yeah, by yeah, it's yeah, almost yeah. like if a script writer was writing them because <laughs> yeah. they, they yeah. sort of you know talk about you know i picked the knife up and i did this sure and, yeah so they really tell you yeah. what you know all these different versions of the event <coughs> so i would have liked to have put more in, in answer to your question but yeah, um yeah. But yeah, it, it just we just had to be quite sort of you, you just want to keep the action going and keep sure. keep the story moving, yeah, yeah, the yeah. momentum of the story. And I think over over sort of 85, 90 minutes, that's the sort of trick, and that's the part that was new mm. new to me actually. Uh, and I've done sixty minute films, but yeah, yeah. to do something over ninety minutes, it's almost like having an engine, and you can even sure. engine which is the story, and you yeah. just, just yeah, keep yeah, rolling yeah, yeah. and just keep moving it forward and pushing mm. it forward, and that means you can't dwell too long. Sure. On like one aspect, yeah. you know, specific, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but you know, it was we pretty much told it chronologically, like you mm. know, so the case in the seventies, and then yeah. and then we kind of went went through the yeah. after, you know, what happened when they got out of prison, and then trying mm. to prove that say they were innocent, yeah, yeah, and then the sort of discovery of the diaries and and how it, the case came back again with yeah, Gisley. Yeah. So we sort of tried to keep it chronological in that sense. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting that because it it was very much like you were part of the event. You know I mean, because obviously you told it from the start to the end in the way the kind of new, the news kind of told it, the way they they went through it mm-hmm. as well. So it wasn't like you brought anything from the end to the start or anything kind of. No. Right, like it literally was like yeah. you witnessed it. You were yeah. there at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And one of the sort of um, ways of thinking about it for me was like it was almost like um, it was the story of how Iceland experienced the case. That sure. was just one of the sort of thoughts in the back of my mind. So it's like, um, so because Iceland. You know that as I the more I learned about it, it's so interesting. Like the kind of, you know, how, sort of how innocent Iceland was yeah, when it was yeah. first yeah. in a. You know, it's like because it was a very isolated country and very mm. sort of remote, and it wasn't really. It was really disconnected. It was this ma- yeah, mad yeah. place, really amazing place, and sort of you know, talking about just after the war and stuff. But then it was becoming more and more connected to the world, and um, and this case came to symbolise that for them because it was like. They didn't have anything like this. They didn't have murders like this. Yeah. Just yeah. that was something that happened at other countries. Yeah, sure. So the the sort of journey of the case is like the journey of Iceland, the way because yeah. like they were quite innocent, and then this happened, and then they were like, uh, "This doesn't happen to in Iceland." So you know, find find the people. They had so much. They put so much pressure on the police. Like mm. find the murderers. Yeah, yeah. and that's part of why maybe why it happened that it yeah, went a yeah, bit yeah. wrong for the police because yeah, they yeah. were just under so much pressure. But then later. You know, if you stick with the story of Iceland thing, it's sort of they started to realise, wait a minute, this wasn't quite right. And they started mm. to, as a country, started to sort of turn, you know, because for a long time they thought <coughs> they, they did it. 
And there's still yeah, a lot yeah. of people who, older people in Iceland still think they did it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But a lot of the new generation say, no, there's no way that under those circumstances, yeah, this yeah, was yeah, a good case because of the way mm. that they were forced to confess and so yeah. on. Yeah, sure. Was there anything that you kind of discovered then, like anything new to the case through through your research through making the documentary? Was anything that was maybe not so quite clear to the public or to the case itself? I didn't. I didn't. I mean, I don't think our case brought out any information. I mean, no. that would have been the killer thing, I mean, <laughs> the yeah, smoking yeah, yeah. gun. Yeah. You know, if we'd have found that piece of evidence that actually proved something then yeah. that would have been incredible we didn't d do that we did try um we uh, for example we really tried to interview the police of the time sure. at the time yeah. uh, they didn't they've never been interviewed and they never have never i don't think they ever will be interviewed yeah, yeah, yeah. um but we really really tried and it seemed mm. like we were going to get an interview but they didn't they declined oh, no. yeah. and then there's two of the of the six um convicted sort of the gang of mm. six who have never been interviewed we really tried again with them because that would have given us new a new perspective, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, but in terms of yeah, in terms of like the case itself, like we as a, as a sort of as the filmmakers didn't discover yeah. anything new. I mean, I discovered as I was making it loads. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for, yeah, uh, yeah. Sort of yeah. I think for, for example for Icelanders, I think yeah that I think that on an emotional level they might learn something. They yeah. might sort of understand more what Bertha went through, for example. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah of course. Um, so, so, so that story. yeah so mm -hmm. i think that 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 might be new for them but i think sort of factually i don't think yeah. necessarily yeah. that they would learn anything from the film yeah so what was it like to deal so personally with like the suspects involved and people that were like directly involved with the case um yeah i mean it's, it's it feels like a huge responsibility i think whenever you do i mean to be honest any kind of film uh you know you sort of you'll film with someone even if it's just for a day or whether you've whether it's in this case for months and months, um, you, you just feel like, you know, you, you feel a responsibility to tell their story as sort of truthfully as possible and, sure. and as well as possible. So definitely I felt this huge responsibility uh, in, that, in that sense. Um, as I, I, I mean, I, basically that's the part of documentary making I like the most is the interviewing. Mm. I really, really enjoy it. So, um, and just getting to know people. And there's mm. so many really interesting people yeah, around, yeah, yeah. around this case. So. Ertla really, really liked meeting and she's become a friend now. And same yeah. with Gisli, he's a fantastic oh, guy. Yeah. And Guyon, who's the other of the six that we interviewed, is a mm. brilliant guy. And just, but just everyone um, we met. But yeah, there's definitely a strong sort of sense of responsibility mm. to tell the story properly. It's um, interesting. Sorry, that's fine. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> so. uh, it's interesting to get that, I guess, that other perspective of it, isn't it? Because obviously, uh, researching into it, I guess you first researched the case, understood the case, and then obviously getting that different perspective of people actually involved was must have been quite nice to kind of see maybe it wasn't quite so bad, you know, everything that they were convicted of, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, definitely. I mean, I think like <coughs> at first um, it was really unclear how we would tell this story, you know, because mm. it's so complicated and it's so easy just to just, I mean, I would talk to journalists over there and they would say, oh, you know, that you don't want to do the yeah, death yeah, in yeah. case. It's just like this black hole mm -hmm. where you can just spend years trying to figure out what happened yeah, yeah. kind of thing. Um, and it was really unclear how we would tell it. But um, I think it was only when we met a few of the people, like especially Atlo and Guyon, that it was like, okay, maybe we can just tell it in a quite simple way, just a human way. Yeah. Just first person yeah. story, mm -hmm. present tense, you know, t taking them back to the to the uh, events and just 
getting them to tell it sort of you know blow by blow sure. account basically. yeah yeah so. very effective, effectively done yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so what was your kind of overall opinion on the case um i think i sort of um yeah i think i it, the my main opinion of the case is a little bit what i said earlier which is mm. that how little we know to be true sure so um i think that the case that the police built up was almost you know you can just literally go through and just strike down so much of the evidence um because of how yeah, yeah. especially the the uh, confessions because of how they were obtained mm. um but also just a lot of the sort of so-called factual evidence of like certain witnesses and things like that mm. there's so little of that yeah, yeah. so yeah. um so yeah i mean i, I think I, I went in with an open mind but i've I've definitely left the case thinking you know these people are wrongfully convicted yeah yeah, yeah. um but i did meet plenty of people who thought, <coughs> who thought they got the right people yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah in iceland but um i you know i'm i sort of think i i went to that kind of core legal idea of you know sort of innocent until proven guilt, guilty yeah and, and so you know show me the proof what's the actual proof and i don't i think it's uh, you know i think it's a bit wrong in a way and, and that's something i kind of learned along the way that it's quite wrong to just convict people only on confessions yeah. it's sort of like you need a bit more than that yeah, yeah yeah and especially the way they were like obtained as well like to then just go by that when they were so under pressure by the police, I think. Yeah, and just the, the amount that the stories changed, it, it's yeah. just kind of there's something suspicious here. Mm. You know, like the, there was like, because there was obviously several different suspects and they'd all have different stories, but they'd all be slightly different, slightly wrong. Yeah. yeah. And then slowly they were kind of like getting more and more the same. And it's yeah, like, yeah. Mm, something's happening here. Like they're obviously like sort of infecting each other. They're not really sure, supposed yeah, to be yeah. doing yeah. that, but they're kind of somehow, you know, like aligning them all together. And it's partly mm. to do with as well that, the German investigator they brought in called Karl Schutz, yeah. who was like this sort of renowned West German, sort of quite scary mm. character mm. who they brought in and had all these kind of like, almost like World War Two kind of techniques. Yeah. yeah. And I think he kind of like sort of knocked all the heads together yeah, and kind of got sure. them all in line mm. and then got the convictions basically. Sure. Yeah. I guess that was part of the difficult bit of, of it, obviously, because there wasn't any, well, there wasn't, wasn't a lot of evidence, wasn't it? exactly because that that's, yeah. yeah what's it, it was saying it was all kind of based mainly off confessions so. yes yeah. um and then uh do you think well i mean do you think the case will ever be fully answered at all or do you think it will always be one of those things where it's what really happened to them um i, I think what happened to the two men is totally uh, open to speculation still yeah. and it just depends i mean if they ever find the bodies then mm. then, then maybe they'll get some to some truth sure. um it seems like the first guy um Gudmundur, um it seems pretty likely that he just kind of got lost because that does mm. happen in yeah. iceland quite, yeah. you know because of, as i was mentioning the landscape mm. people just literally will fall down a crack of a, a lava yeah. field there's yeah, like yeah, the yeah. lava fields are really crazy there. and so that may, may well have happened with him um and with gofana it's a really is a genuine mystery because he really yeah. did you know he he got this strange phone call with that we know that's true you yeah, know, yeah, he got yeah. in this. We got in his car. He drove to this cafe by this harbour. Mm. He definitely left his car there. That's definitely true. He left the keys in the ignition. Yeah. yeah. But then he disappeared, and then yeah. literally, we have no idea where he went after that. So mm. that is totally yeah, down to yeah. speculation. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah, can yeah. just kind of add the story after that. What you think happened? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
That's very interesting. Yeah. Well, um, thanks very much for Thank letting you. us do this podcast. Very interesting yeah. documentary, I have to say. Uh, yeah, so uh, it's been a podcast with Dylan Howard on his documentary, uh, out of the, uh, which he is the director of. Yeah, cheers. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sugar Paper Boys podcast, speaking with Dylan Howard. Tune in next episode, talking with a forensic scientist who was involved in the case.